Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Hey, welcome to Snazzy Stories. If you would like to keep the storytelling alive, please go to patreon.com slash snazzystories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Also subscribe to Snazzy Stories on iTunes, Spotify, many other podcast apps, or go to snazzystories.com and leave an awesome review. The first explorers to map and write about the Utah Territory and other areas in the West were the Spanish explorers in 1776. They were looking for a route to Santa Fe. Even though they did map Utah, and Utah still uses many Spanish names given by Father Escalante and Father Dominguez on their maps, the Spanish did not make any settlements in Utah. They did promise to return to the native people, but that did not happen. As time passed, the United States began to expand. Thomas Jefferson, the president at the time, doubled the size of the United States when he made the Louisiana Purchase from France. This sizable chunk of land cost the United States just $15 million. Due to his blind purchase, Jefferson sent explorers Lewis and Clark, led by Sacagawea, in 1803 to discover the mysteries of what the United States now owned, the wonders of the West. Even after the Lewis and Clark expedition, it was not until a group of people who would become known as the Mountain Men ventured to the West that the American people would begin to understand the Western territory and the extent of its wonder. The driving force that led these men to the mountains in the West was the fashion industry. In the early 1800s, a fashion trend took the stage in Europe and the eastern United States. The beaver hat. This was a hat made of beaver fur. This hat came in all shapes and sizes from bonnets to top hats. In fact, all self-respecting gentlemen would be seen with one atop his head. Hat makers would use the short-haired fur from the beaver's belly to make the soft felt for the hats. Since these hats were all the rage, people would pay a high price to have one, and companies needed as much beaver fur as they could get. This is where the mountain men enter on the scene. The companies selling the hats needed people to do their dirty work for them and trap as many beavers as they could. These men who were willing to venture into the unknown territory for a job but also for a new life, would become known as the Mountain Men. Many different kinds of men became trappers in the West. There were highly educated people and people who had no education at all. Some were religious, some had no religion. There were artists and there were scientists. The group that we know as Mountain Men were a diverse group with all different talents from all different backgrounds which actually came in very helpful when it came down to survival. This group of people pushed into the West because of a fashion trend, and they had to quickly develop survival skills. Otherwise, their death would come quickly in the unknown wilderness. The types of skills these men needed were beaver trapping, of course, because that is why they were there in the first place. Also, mountain climbing, game hunting would be needed but also being able to fight off attackers that were not only wild animals, but people as well. All senses had to be very keen. Hearing, visual, and their sense of smell would become very important. Wilderness skills and a trapper's instincts helped them survive, along with the characteristics of problem-solving skills and endurance skills. 
Since the mountain men were traveling through land that was new territory for them, they walked into unknown dangers, which they found to quickly adjust to, or sometimes they would die in the middle of the wilderness. Not only did they have to learn to survive in the sometimes harsh environments, specifically winter in the mountains, but they also had to fight off wolf packs, mountain lions, and as they pushed west, they were walking into grizzly bear territory. Some grizzly bears weighed 1,500 pounds, standing 12 feet tall on its hind legs and had six-inch claws. The mountain men would run into grizzly bears by the river's edge when they were checking their beaver traps. Rivers were a common place to find bears sleeping. Many mountain men met their end by the claws of grizzly bears, especially female grizzlies. If the female grizzly's cubs were around any of the mountain men, she would attack viciously. In 1823, a grizzly attack occurred that became famous. Hugh Glass was with a group of trappers when a female grizzly attacked him. One account said that the grizzly bear had two cubs that she was protecting. Hugh Glass was slashed from head to foot by the grizzly bear. The group he was with believed he would not live. They didn't question if he was going to die, just how long it would take him to die. Out of wood, the men built a makeshift bed for Hugh to lay on while the men dragged or carried it behind them. They carried it for a few days, but he still hadn't died. Hugh Glass was slowing the group down, and they were walking right into enemy Indian territory. They did not believe he would live, so they left two men behind to stay with him until he did die. They didn't want to risk the entire group's safety. John Fitzgerald and Jim Bridger were selected to stay behind with Hugh Glass. These two men spent a week with Hugh Glass, and he finally showed almost no signs of life. So the two men, Fitzgerald and Bridger, took his gear and his rifle, because Hugh would have no need of it, and left Hugh Glass to pass away. It is unknown how long it took for Hugh to awake from his lifeless coma, but he did, and he found himself alone. He was so weak from the bear attack that he could only drag himself and crawl, and his wounds from the attack were infected. But he had superb survival skills. He pulled himself over a rotting log, rolled over onto it, and had the maggots eat the infection out of his back. Then he began dragging himself in the direction of a fort that was a fur trading post 200 miles away. Along the way, he nourished himself with the meat of rattlesnakes and dead animals that he had found. He finally gained enough strength to go from dragging himself to crawling to begin to walk to the fort. After possibly two or three months, the skeleton form of Hugh Glass walked into the fur trading post, and he told his tale. He nursed himself to regain his strength, and he went back out again into the wilderness as a fur trapper. But he wanted to get revenge on the two men that had left him. However, he finds out that John Fitzgerald became an army scout, and if he killed him, then the U.S. military would come after him and would hang him. He finally found Jim Bridger, but Hugh came to understand that Jim was very young and made a youthful mistake. Therefore, Hugh forgave Jim Bridger. Hugh Glass's story is one of the greatest survival stories of the West, but his mountain man life catches up to him and he is killed in an Indian attack in 1833. It was a good thing that Hugh Glass forgave Jim Bridger instead of killing him, because Jim became one of the most notable mountain men in the West. 
Jim Bridger left his home in 1822 at 18 years old and traveled west. He found a job with one of the fur trapping companies, the Rocky Mountain Fur Company. Jim Bridger had little education. He could not read or write. He had to mark his name with an X when he had to sign anything. However, he was a grand storyteller, and he was remarkably intelligent in other ways. He knew the land better than most mountain men. One of his discoveries was he claimed to be the first to see the Great Salt Lake in Utah. He made a bull boat, which is a small boat made of buffalo hide stretched over a wooden frame, and Bridger floated in it down the river until it came to a big body of water. He leaned down to taste the water, which was incredibly salty. His initial belief was that he had reached the Pacific Ocean. Later, after more exploration, he found out that it was not the ocean at all, but would end up being the Great Salt Lake, the saltiest lake in the Western Hemisphere. Once the fur trading industry began to die down, Jim Bridger ended up building a fort on the Oregon Trail in Wyoming. He wanted to stay in the West, and when the trapping industry went under, he needed a business, so he opened a trading post. This fort was open for travelers going west to resupply and rest before heading back out on their journey. Jim Bridger was a successful trapper, explorer, and businessman. Another of the most notable explorers of the west was Jedediah Smith. Unlike Jim Bridger, Jedediah Smith could read and, in fact, gained his sense of adventure through reading the journals of the Lewis and Clark expedition when he was a young boy. When he had become a little older, as a young man, he was looking for adventure, when he answered an advertisement by William Ashley in 1822 for enterprising young men to go trap beaver and otters on the frontier. Smith was well respected among the other fur trappers. He was also a religious man. Along with his rifle, he took a Bible everywhere he went. He would read to himself, and other times he would read from his Bible aloud around the campfire to other trappers. He continued to be religious throughout his life. He wrote in his journal, Quote, then let us come forward with faith, nothing doubting, and he will most unquestionably hear us. Unquote. Looking for more beavers, he left the Great Salt Lake region and traveled through Nevada and California. He and his men trudged across the Mojave Desert under the unforgiving sun. They almost died due to lack of water and food. Luckily, when they reached California, they found an old Spanish mission at which they could rest. They then crossed back over the Sierra Nevada mountains and returned to Utah. Jedediah Smith also became the first to travel Utah's length and width and helped rediscover the South Pass, a key Rocky Mountain crossing that became a part of the Oregon Trail. His travels were not without hardship, though, as mentioned before that he and his men almost met their end in the Mojave Desert. Jedediah Smith was also mauled by a bear. In South Dakota, Smith was attacked by a grizzly bear. His ribs were smashed, and the bear ripped one of his ears and part of his scalp almost all the way off. His friend, Jim Kleiman, described the event. Quote, the grizzly did not hesitate a moment, but sprang on the captain, taking him by the head first, pitching, sprawling on the earth, breaking several of his ribs and cutting his head badly. The bear had taken nearly all of his head in his mouth, close to his left eye on one side and close to his right ear on the other, and laid the skull bare to near the crown of the head. One of his ears was torn from his head out to the outer rim. Unquote. 
Smith asked Jim Clyman to sew his scalp back on, but the ear was too cut to save. However, Smith insisted he try. Clyman wrote, quote, I put my needle sticking it through and through and over and over, laying the lacerated parts together as nice as I could with my hands. Unquote. After two weeks of rest, Smith resumed leading the expedition. Smith wore his hair long the rest of his life to cover his scars from this attack. In 1830, Smith retired from his life in the mountains, sold his shares in the Rocky Mountain Fur Company, and retired. He bought a house in St. Louis. But in 1831, he agreed to go on one last exploration for the Sublet and Jackson Company. Not long after he began his expedition in the spring, he met his death. On May 27, 1831, while looking for water along the Santa Fe Trail, Jedediah Smith was ambushed by Comanche warriors and killed at the age of 32. The exploration of the West was an awesome feat by these men. However, the conflict between the trappers and the Native Americans was real, and the Native American people believed they had every right to defend their land, their families, and their way of life. When the fur trappers began encroaching on Native land, often the Native people were quite helpful to the trappers, they would become guides along the trails for them, and sometimes would even let the trappers spend the winter at their lodges. Some Native American women would marry trappers. One of the reasons that Native people would sometimes help the trappers was that the mountain men were not settlers. They did not intend on staying in one place and taking over the Native's land. Chief Wakara of the Ute tribe also found a material benefit by working with the trappers. He encouraged his Ute people to trade peacefully with the mountain men, and in some cases the mountain men would cross their lands and Wakara and his people would stop them and demand they pay a tribute or a gift or payment in exchange for safe travel through their land. Both the mountain men and the Ute people could benefit from these new excursions by the fur trappers. But things did not always go as smoothly. Sometimes Native people did not want the trappers hunting animals on their land and taking resources away from their people. And the fur trappers did almost trap the beaver to extinction in some areas of North America. And the Native people did not like the disturbance of resources. Sometimes the Native people would try to drive the trappers away in order to protect their way of life. Native people would attack the trappers on their expeditions and take their horses and their furs. One of the first accounts of an attack in Utah took place in the Great Salt Lake Valley. A group of trappers led by a teen Provo, whom the city of Provo and the Provo River are named after, met with a group of Native Americans to trade. Provo and his men were invited by the group of Natives to sit and smoke a peace pipe together. Provo's men put down their weapons and sat with a group of Native people. A signal was given, and the Native Americans attacked the trappers. Provo and few of his men were able to escape, and the rest were killed. Not all interactions with the Native Americans ended in violence. As was mentioned before, some Native people got along with the trappers, and in fact, some trappers married into the different tribes. Such was the case of James Beckworth. James Beckworth was the son of a white man and a black woman. He was born into slavery in Virginia. When James became a teenager, his father moved him to Missouri. He received his freedom in the 1820s and headed farther west to avoid the institution of slavery. Many freed slaves and escaped slaves ran west and became a part of the fur trapping industry. Oftentimes, African Americans were able to help relations with the Native Americans. 
because the Native people seemed to trust African-American trappers more so than the white trappers. The Natives had only experiences with white trappers. Therefore, when African-Americans began meeting with the Native people, it was different. And the Native Americans believed the African-Americans to be special people because they had not seen them before. James was adopted into the Crow tribe, and he actually became a war chief of that Native nation and adopted Crow traditions and married Crow women. Beckworth believed that his significant presence with the Crow tribe could build a bridge with the white fur trappers. Beckworth said, quote, If I chose to become an Indian while living with them, it should concern no person but myself. By doing so, I have saved more lives and property for the white man than a whole regiment of the United States regulators could have done in the same time. Unquote. James Beckworth ended up leaving the Crow Nation in the mid-1830s and worked many jobs, but what he is most well-known for is a scout and a wilderness guide. He also founded a trading post in what would become Pueblo, Colorado, and he also discovered a new route through the Sierra Nevada mountains, which became known as Beckworth Pass. This was the lowest place to cross the mountains between California and Nevada. This route would become very popular when people began rushing to California in search of gold. The fur trapping industry brings many changes to the West and has lasting effects on not only the land, but the people who already lived there, the Native American tribes. For many years, the mountain men have been celebrated as heroes who were a part of, quote, winning the West, unquote. But this group of people trapping in the West changed life in overwhelmingly negative ways for the Native people who already lived in the West and who had for hundreds and hundreds of years. By opening up the West to more people, it began the end of the Native American lifestyle. By the mid-1830s, the beaver was becoming quite scarce. But because the mountain men were still employed by the different companies to bring back beaver pelts for the beaver hats, trappers began stealing each other's beaver pelts and would also consider murder to get a leg up on the competition. However, the fur industry will take an immediate downturn because as fashion trends do, they change. The beaver hat, which was the reason the mountain men went west in the first place, went out of style. Overnight, the silk hat became the popular item to own. Once the fashion trend changed, the mountain men were all out of jobs. And they needed a new way to make a living. But they also wanted to stay in the West. The mountain men had very marketable skills during this period in U.S. history. Because reports were being read by Americans in the East about how amazing the Western frontier was. And now, thousands of people wanted in on the adventure. The mountain men now could use their survival skills once again by becoming guides to the pioneers moving west and get paid for their guiding services. Some also went into business by setting up trading posts for the pioneers to resupply, like Jim Bridger, who built Fort Bridger in Wyoming. But expanding the West to Americans going to settle will cause lasting effects positive and negative in American culture and Native American culture. Now that thousands of Americans will not just be passing through Native land, but actually settling on Native land, conflicts initiated on both sides will arise. There are multiple sides to a story, and all should be recognized, so that we can understand history better. 
and honestly understand people better. The recognition of the mountain men as helping expand the West was an important part of U.S. history and Utah history. But we also need to be aware of the negative side of opening up the West to the American pioneers. The American settlements caused much death on both sides, Native American and American alike. And such events still shapes the perspectives of people today. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story.